Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Broadcast on Global News earlier in the week, that Peter Whitmore, who is a violent, repeat child sexual assaulter, who had abducted two boys and, and held them for two days, sexually assaulting them in 2006, uh, he's in prison now. He's in prison for life. And he is online, and he's seeking friends. He's looking for relationships and friends. You have to ask yourself, as one of his victims was asking himself and described it as absolutely disgusting, why this is going on, why this is allowed. And Mr. Whitmore is not the only one. It's happened over the years. Clifford Olson was well known for this kind of thing as well, the, the, uh, the, the child serial killer. So I'll talk to Scott Newark about that. And uh, as well, there's a report about Canada's parole officers. They have great concerns that they may not be able to protect the Canadian community based on the fact that there's such a rush in our prison system to get offenders out of prison as quickly as possible. 50 in, 50 out used to be the uh, the saying. Scott Newark, former Alberta prosecutor, executive director of the Canadian Police Association, was a senior policy advisor to a federal minister for public safety, now adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. Uh, Scott, let me just, we'll talk about this in detail tomorrow, but the issue of Terry Lynn McClintock suing the federal government or being prepared to sue the federal government for being removed from her halfway house or was assigned there, it just raises so many issues again about what's deeply wrong with our system. Yeah, on, on a, so many different levels as well, too. I mean, it's a, obviously it's an insight into the, uh, the behavior or attitude, shall we say, of the offender. Um, although, uh, and, and I should also point out that it, uh, because somebody has uh, filed a, li- a legal action is sometimes a reflection on their lawyers as well, too. Uh, I believe the, the lawyers actually had to pull the case back out of Alberta because the judge said, why, is this, why would you think that I have jurisdiction for this? Because this person isn't even in Alberta anymore. Uh, the thing that I find the most interesting about these different kinds of cases that you've mentioned, um, number one, it's the, um, uh, the insights that it gives the rest of us into the way that our uh, supposed uh, correctional system is actually, quotation marks, working. And in that sense, these kinds of things have real value because we get to look behind the closed doors of the CSC world and we don't necessarily uh, know what's going on. And in her case... Uh, you know, she was transferred to the uh, the healing lodge, even though she's not indigenous. Uh, she self-identified as indigenous, and none of us would know about it had it not been for the diligence of uh, Troy Stafford's dad, who received some information, asked a few more questions, and then exposed all of this, right? And that's how, you know, Canadians uh, got to learn about this. And got to see as well, too, that the minister referred to the, uh, this brutal abduction, rape, and murder of this little girl as, I believe the phrase he used was, bad behavior. But, I mean, she's l- looking at this, presumably, and saying, hey, you know, I followed what supposedly were the rules were, and it only got overturned because of the fact that it was made public. Yeah. Okay? The value, however, is the fact that it did get made public, and it gave us a glimpse into the way 
that I this uh, correctional system is, in my opinion, so often dysfunctional and, and something And something you and I have talked about for more than 30 years, yeah. case after case after case. And we'll it, get yeah. into more detail about the Tory Stafford case tomorrow. But here's, the, here's what more. And he made headlines across this country in 2006 for the brutality that he displayed toward two young boys who he abducted and sexually assaulted for two days. So he's in prison for life. I mean, this guy had a, had a long rap sheet. Yes. Right? I mean, he had a history of predatory sexual behavior. So now he's on the Canadian Inmates Connect website. And he la- says he's lonely, says he has cancer, and he's seeking friendship. He writes in part, I'm a very caring and loving person who cannot begin to describe my loneliness. I hope you will take the time and get to know me and allow me the privilege of getting to know you. I will never be released. I like this part. This is by my choice. Yeah, right. Uh, Once again, it gives an insight into the culture at Correctional Service of Canada. And for your listeners, they should appreciate this is among the worst of the worst of the worst offenders. This is a guy, as you mentioned, who had a long track history, who was constantly being released early, um, despite warnings that he was going to reoffend, was even placed on the preventive orders, although, albeit for reasons no one's ever explained, without electronic monitoring, he actually ended up leaving one jurisdiction and going to another where he committed the, uh, the latest crimes. And uh, he is someone that is just, you just shake your head at the fact that Correctional Services of Canada would be treating this guy this way. Uh, and, and it for me, it strikes me as the, what's the, what's the phrase, remember they used with you one time they were talking? Oh, we're the, the, uh, we're the... Uh, non-incarcerated individuals living, living in, the in, the, in the community. Living in the community, right. Non-incarcerated individuals yes. living in the community. So in other words, we're not yet there. Well, it, it's the way that they sort of view him as a, quote, client. Well, that's what it says, okay. or I don't know I, if it still does. You, well, you and I have talked for, uh, as you said, uh, for decades on all these different subjects. And as you know, uh, I'm not one that favors, for example, uh, capital punishment. But I must admit, when it comes to a guy like Whitmore, I, I'm afraid that I actually think he should be subjected to BIF strategy, rehabilitation strategy, BIF rehabilitation strategy. I won't even ask. Yeah, you should. BIF, bullet in the head. Um. Yeah. I. This is, uh, this is seriously. The I, I, I look with, with, with Whitmore. With Whitmore. That that notion from Scott, correctional officials says, "Okay, oh yeah, we've done a great job, and they release him. He reoffends in a." Horrible. You know that I am not uh, opposed to capital punishment, and I remember you and I spoke with a former deputy attorney general for the state of Washington. Yes, I remember. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name is Doug. I can't, I can't I, remember his last I won't. name. But he was on the program, and he said at that time that you only have an effective justice system if people actually believe in the justice system. He, he, the example he gave was go to, back to the Old West, and the, and the ranchers had a certain amount of cattle, and then they had their cattle rustled, and uh, they decided to fight back. So they got a pony, they found a tree, they got a rope, they captured the rustler, and the rest took place. And then eventually society came along and said, you can't do this any longer. We will now take over the punishment of these rustlers. So you put away the pony, you put away the rope, you forget about the tree, you chop it down, use it as firewood, and carry on with your lives. So the ranchers did. Well, eventually we got to a time 
where the where the rustlers were released early, and they went out and they started to prey on the ranchers again, and rustle their cattle, and so the ranchers, you can you know you remember you remember what he said, the the ranchers got another horse, found another tree, and got another rope, so that was his version of rather graphic, his version of how how things change and how people's Opinions and views and attitudes change. Yeah, and there's—I don't know if it's still the case, but there used to be the the in the inmates' handbook or the offenders' handbook. And I remember getting one of those not quite a few years ago. And on, in the in the prologue, in the very on the very first page, it refers to the person, whether it's Paul Bernardo, whether it's Peter Whitmore, whether it was Clifford Olson, as a client. Yeah, you're a client of Correctional Service Canada. You're a client. Yeah. I have, uh, for me, the I have never really been a supporter of capital punishment, more because I think the debate, which is a legitimate debate, is a distraction from other tools that we can use that would um, equally uh, stop these kinds of repeat and high-risk offenders from being on the streets. But I, I completely agree with the notion, and this goes back literally to the 13th century in Great Britain, uh, that's why it's called Regina versus so-and-so as the style of cause, not because it happens in Saskatchewan, but that a crime committed against one person is viewed as a crime committed against society. And our justice system is a public system, and it is people look to it to deliver results. And I think when they see cases like this, and unfortunately, and I mean, over the years, you and I have talked about many, many cases and that have you know provided insights into the system and, and have led to substantive uh, reforms, and what really concerns me about uh, the cases you've just discussed in this report from the, uh, the frontline uh, officers that was just released is that I have this bad feeling that we are moving back into that kind of a system uh, where it, you know, it's a secret of culture to begin with at the best of times, but they are essentially doing things and acting in ways that is contrary to the public interest and is therefore undermining public confidence in the system. And that, in my experience, is a very dangerous road to go down. I have to take a break in a second. Let me just read a couple of lines from the Global News story about Whitmore. Court documents filed as part of Whitmore's past cases outline how prison psychologists have characterized him as a manipulative liar, unwilling to admit that he ever harmed anyone. Uh, the yeah. profile lists Whitmore's hobbies as playing video games and collecting photographs of people, castles, <clears throat> excuse me, and homes from the Victorian era. He writes, I have numerous health problems, including leukemia. I use a walker for stable mobility due to problems with my legs and feet due to diabetes. This guy is a total manipulator. He's an absolute manipulator. And when it, let me just close on the capital punishment issue. I will mirror what so many people have said over the years. If life means life, then fine. But if life means you're out in a few years' time, not so good. Well, that's, that is something that we've exposed, including on the Terry Lynn McClintock case, uh, yes. as you remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you're the one. People need to know the truth. You're the one who found, nobody else in this country knew this. Nobody else bothered to find out. You researched it, and you found that she qualified for Section 745, and she's actually eligible for, uh, eligible for parole in 10 years, not 16 years, as was thought. The likes of Peter Whitmore uh, being able to advertise for friends, this predator, sexual predator on kids on uh, on uh, webpage. Not the first time, as we said, um, 
Clifford Olson did the same thing. Scott, I want to get to the parole office in about 30 seconds, but Olson did the same thing. He was involved in an international poetry contest. And he, he was, was he was in the finals, and I he, called he the organizer. Somebody who was de- declared a vexatious litigant. That's right. Yeah. He used his time because you know he knew he wasn't going anywhere, so he decided he'd just torment people. And he he sued the the, the parents of his victims on one of them because they referenced to him as a sex offender, and he wasn't actually uh, convicted of sex crimes, and so he threatened he was going to sue. And there were all sorts of things. Listen, yeah, he said I wasn't I've convicted of the law society of Alberta so many times by you know criminals and their lawyers and everything else. I mean, it's part of the process. But it's, uh, it's an insight into the, the nature of the people making the complaint. He told Gary and Sharon Rosenfeld, I wasn't convicted of raping your son, just of murdering your yeah. son. So these are the people who are making the outside contact. Anyway, he, he was a finalist in that poetry contest in Baltimore, I remember. And I called the organizer of the contest on the air and told him who his finalist was. So they removed Olson, and I understand that really upset him. What a sad so once again, it gives you, I think, an insight into what the hell is going on in Correctional Services yeah. Canada, yeah. that they're not you know, preventing these kinds of people from engaging in this kind of conduct. I've yeah. always said that when you're convicted, okay, it's not that we take away all of your rights. We'll leave some of them at the door so they're there for you to pick up when you leave. But for offenders like that who are never going to leave, you, you lose those rights. My friend, I, I'm going to challenge... The, and I did this with uh, with with a, with a justice minister. We don't take away their rights; they forfeit their rights. Um, correct. I mean, uh, it, they're suspended. Although, as a, as a classic example, you know, this is under some debate in the United States. Um, we decided, and I believe the phrase that they used is that we needed to hear from all communities when we decided to give people in prison the right to vote. Duh. Yeah. I have no problem with people who are in prison for white-collar crime, nonviolent crime, having outside contacts. They're going to be out again. Give them that opportunity. No problem with that. But the likes of Whitmore and Olson, different kettle of fish. Now, we have the parole officers in Canada. This is very serious. This is serious. 69% of them in a survey of parole officers say they're not able to adequately protect the public. What's it about? Well, uh, this is literally a report from the union representing the uh, frontline federal parole officers. And, um, you know, I, I admit my bias. My career, I have worked with frontline law enforcement organizations. Uh, I'm one of the guys that did the review for the Border Officers Union on officer safety that led to the arming. But in general terms, when you are getting reports and insights from the frontline officers, the people responsible for the management of these systems need to pay attention. And this is a shocking report that provides really, really specific details about several aspects of the problems these federal parole officers are facing, um, including difficulties in the, uh, the community and as well in the institutions themselves that provide insights uh, into uh, the way the system is, quotation marks, working. Uh, included in that are the fact that this culture has returned uh, of, you know, uh, it was known as GTO. That actually was said at, a, uh, at an inquest into somebody killed by a repeat offender in Saskatchewan, and the, uh, the parole officer was called to say, why the hell was this guy released? And he just said, well, you know, the culture here is GTO. Get them out. Get them out. I saw that myself personally. Uh, years ago, the then Solicitor General Doug Lewis asked me to attend some parole hearings and give him sort of some observations on things. And I saw that from a correctional officer who was testifying for a parole board hearing, recommending that this 
thug be released, and they adjourned, and we were sort of standing in the waiting room area with a couple of uh, staffers from the board, and she says, God, I hope they don't let him out. And I said, you just recommended he be let out. And the three women looked at each other, rolled their eyes, and went, GTO. Yeah. That's what these guys, the frontline officer reporting, is part of what's going so, on in the institutions. They're being forced to release people yeah. too early. Uh, so we'll have to pick this up. We'll have to pick this up tomorrow in our segment because okay. we run out of time here. This actually, is really important. Let me finish on this. They're actually rewarding wardens for meeting with our statistical targets in releasing people, and the officers in the community don't have the funds, and they aren't even having uh, the ability to monitor people because okay. they're not using electronic monitoring. Really Thanks, Scott. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.